Hello and welcome to the Change in Education podcast. As the UK's largest education business partnership, the Change in Education group delivers the best in-class work experience and careers management services. Why not find out more? Check out our website, changingeducation.co.uk and send us an email, info at changingeducation.co.uk. Ben Donnelly is a software product owner and has a vast experience in chromatography and has worked with AstraZeneca. He shares his experiences with us. Hello, welcome to another episode here from the Change in Education podcast. My name is Amos Madri, your host. I'm joined by company directors Stephen Hackney and Matthew Hodgkinson. And this week we've got a special guest with us, uh, Ben Donnelly. How are you? A warm welcome to you. Thank you very much, Amos. I'm doing very well, thanks. So, Ben, you know, you've got a fascinating career. I'd love to, just uh, before we get to speak to Stephen and Matthew, just tell us briefly about yourself. Okay, so um, I'm 47 years old and my working career started back in 1992. Uh, I started work for a company called ICI, which has since become AstraZeneca. I took something called an A-level school leavers route. Uh, And what this meant is that I worked in the laboratories testing drug products, predominantly using a technique called chromatography. Now, chromatography, some people may not be aware, but that's a technique that you won't realize impacts your life, will have impacted your life today. Everything you consume or use will at some point have been tested using the technique of chromatography. Food, drink, cosmetics, toiletries, household products, petroleum, pharmaceutical products, all tested using chromatography on a batch by batch basis. So you, re- you remember at school in science, maybe taking a Smarty or some ink on a circular piece of paper, making it damp and watching the colors separate. Well, that's the most basic type of chromatography. And what I do is, is that at a very extreme level. So as part of the school leavers scheme, I attended Manchester Metropolitan University on a day release scheme. Uh, one day a week I would go to university and that ultimately led to me attaining an honours degree in applied chemistry. It took a little bit longer so it, it took five years to get the, the the degree as opposed to a normal three years but I was being paid for it at the same time and working all the time. Um, I then continued to work my way up through a variety of roles at AstraZeneca that brought me onto a project to replace the aging chromatography data system that we had in the laboratory at the time. I progressed to become system owner for the laboratory data systems. And at this time, AstraZeneca funded me again to go and do my master's degree in computing. So a bit of a switch from chemistry, but to computing that more reflected the crossover of what I was doing. For my master's project, I worked on a business intelligence solution, which took data from the chromatography data system and helped understand how the system was being used. And this led to improving efficiency in the laboratories, looking at how the instruments were being utilized, how the process workflows through the through the laboratory were running, for example. In 2007, AstraZeneca was going through a a period of, um, of contraction. I took voluntary redundancy from AstraZeneca and straight away went to work for the company that built the chromatography instruments and data system that I'd been working with at AstraZeneca. I've now been working with the instrument vendor for the past 15 years. I've progressed through a variety of roles, including overseeing the work from a master's project take shape into a, a 
product that was that is sellable and is still sold today and used in a variety of other pharmaceutical companies. And currently I'm the software product owner for the chromatography data system responsible for taking the system to its next phase of life into the cloud. So what, what's been really nice is that I've progressed from being a user of the system to now being responsible for shaping the next generation of the product. And that system that I'm working with is kind of the, the, the one single thread that's always been there in my career. Thank you, Ben. Matthew, when I hear that, I think what a fascinating career. Um, you know, which, first of all, warm welcome to you. Uh, welcome back from the bank holiday break. Mm. But yeah, you know, what, what do you reckon when you hear that? Well, we're just, well yeah, hi Amos. Uh, ben, thank you for uh, jumping on our podcast today. Uh, yeah, what a start, Amos. I mean, I'd, to, to, to be honest with you, most of what Ben said there is well over my head and I'm writing a few things down trying to understand chromatography and I didn't, yeah, I, I remember there were school days hazy as they are, but I do remember that, that project that we did uh, and the technical level, of, technical level that Ben's at now is probably, we'll, we'll learn more throughout the podcast, will be outstanding. But you know the way that I work in these podcasts, Amos, I'm, I'm probably less, I am really interested in it, but I, it's beyond me what Ben is probably going to say in this podcast. There will be some listeners, I'm sure, that understand it better than I will. But I'm obviously really keen about, you know, his roots, how other, how other people can get into his career, the impact of work experience, uh, how, you know, what, what advice and guidance Ben has uh, to give to others and, and any role models, et cetera, which is really what this, what this podcast is about. But yeah, you know, we spoke last week about, about new guests that we've got on the show and, uh, you know, you haven't let us down again, Amos, with your recruitment of Ben. So fantastic. Thank you. I wish I could take the credit for that, but uh, the man himself, uh, Mr. Steve oh, was it not you? Was it not you? Was it not you, Amos? Do I have to give Steve some credit? <laughs> oh, can't do that. So, uh, yeah. Well, Steve, a warm welcome to you. Thanks, Amos. Yeah, I. Uh... Ben's a, Ben's a very obviously knowledgeable guy, very interesting guy that I, I've known for a few years now, and. Uh, We've done a lot of um, podcasts and lots of uh, educational sessions to help shape the career or help uh, a young person uh, make a transition into a career pathway. I don't think we've really ever looked at the sciences in great detail. Uh, I know we had the medics on the week before. We had the actors on last week. So today I just thought it was, having spent a lot of time, but it was just, you've just got a very interesting career transition from school and uh, into an apprenticeship to a really uh, interesting job also he's been uh, he's been humble he's got actually a quite a uh, a stressful job uh, and he's also he actually manages he manages a lot of people so although we're talking about the speciality as well today Ben will be able to give a a, a good insight into uh, leadership uh, communication skills uh, i don't suppose he's told you that he's also served in the armed forces so ben is a, ben is a uh, ben has definitely got a lot of uh, life skills that other listeners could definitely benefit from yeah and we can we ben, can touch on some of those as well yeah absolutely and you know again the life skills that we can talk about the transferable skills you know, when you first started uh, 92, you know, 
the sort of program that you took into your career wasn't very popular there wasn't too many people doing the sort of training that you did talk to us about that talk to us about the decision to go into that particular career you know what sort of support was there from schools uh, you know what what did your college do to support you what was the advice that you received en route to very, yeah very 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 little i'll be honest so to provide some additional context and background from my, from my early teen years i always wanted to be a, a fast jet pilot in the raf that's all i ever wanted to do so when it came to work experience and careers there's not really much opportunity for work experience as a fast jet pilot and i did actually struggle to find something of interest in terms of work experience when i was 14 i did uh, one week's work experience for a kitchen manufacturing company owned by a neighbor basically i spent a week counting screws and fixings into little plastic bags for flat pack furniture <laughs> and then when i was 16 and doing my a levels again i was like well i'm going to be in the raf that's the end of it that was all it was as far as i was concerned but i did do two weeks work experience at a bank and I, I chose the bank as i was studying maths and further maths at a level and banking seemed to be a backup option for me if the raf fell through when i was 17 and i finally got my application into the raf which is kind of the earliest age that you can apply uh, th that option very quickly fell through for me. I passed the aptitude test, but I did not pass the interview stages, unfortunately. It's uh, being a fast jet pilot in the in the early 90s, it was still something of an old boys network, and I'm not a member of the old boys network. So I was kind of uh, at a disadvantage there to start with, unfortunately. What was interesting, though, was at the, at the same time, I would say, 90% of my friends were all applying for university and I'd just said, nope, not applying to university, I'm going into the RAF. So by the time I didn't, I found out I wasn't going to get into the Air Force, it was almost too late for me to apply for university. Uh, and it was at that time that I, um, just looking through the, the local newspaper, and I, I noticed an advert for A-level school leavers that was specifically looking for A-level school leavers at ICI, which if any of you know, AstraZeneca is a, a large pharmaceutical company based in uh, my hometown of Macclesfield. Now, I was lucky enough to be one of three out of several hundred who were accepted onto that scheme. So they, they only took three of us on that year. What I will say is that I'm sure that my out of school activities contributed to the success in getting a job. So the application and interview process specifically asked me about this. They were very interested in where I had taken the initiative to become involved in something that wasn't just fed to me at school. And, and for me, that activity was the Air Training Corps, which kind of, I joined the Air Training Corps because I wanted to be a pilot in the RAF. But for me, the Air Training Corps was a wonderful organization. Um, it, it provided me not only with options for what I thought at the time I wanted to do, but also with discipline, routine, organisational techniques, communication and confidence with others that still helps me day to day. So what I will say is, although work experience, work experience for me actually identified what I didn't want to do, but you should always take all the opportunities you can when they're presented to you 
such as youth organisations, because employees, employers, sorry, are very, very interested in, in, in what you do out of school, what's not fed to you and what you take the initiative to do yourself. Matthew, when you listen to that, taking the initiative of all the hundreds of people who apply for the job, three, one of three to get the job, um, going above and beyond, focused, disciplined. Um, I didn't hear any educators or schools, colleges involved in any of that. What's your thoughts when you hear Ben's story? Yeah, I mean, every situation is, is unique, and but we try and we try and find a theme that runs that runs through it. I mean, Ben mentioned there about work experience, and that work experience really doesn't seem to have had much of an impact positively on on Ben. But at the same time, he's he's stated that you know he learned a lot from it. That and we talk about this all the time. That I mean, my work experience was fairly negative, but ultimately I came away knowing that that I, I wanted to do something different. So I think turning that experience into a positive is what what Ben's done there. I mean, you know, I've got, lo I've got loads of questions, really, because I'm always interested in people's careers, and especially when people have, you know, worked really hard and, and access those opportunities. I mean, Ben, in terms of the opportunities that were available to you, I'd suggest we're talking uh, early, early 90s, mid 90s here. Yeah. Do, you, do you think that there were enough opportunities or you've got to where you are today just sheer obviously academic ability but actually more being dogged and eking out those opportunities for yourself because we hear today that lots of young people will say that there are no opportunities how how do you feel is it a case of hard work over academic ability where would you think the, uh, the, the, the that playing field is that mix academic ability you know certainly i would say got me got me into the door maybe so but once i was actually in the door i'm competing against others with similar academic backgrounds so it becomes about something else which is which is why i mentioned the out of school activities that's what that's what highlighted me over and above the rest I, I do think in terms of opportunities i've i've always i've always had a keen eye to look out for opportunities for example working on a project to replace the chromatography data system in the, that we were using I, I really wanted to be a part of that project and it was quite a junior a junior junior project officer on that project to start with but it was a case of you know working with the system even in my own spare time learning how to do some computer programming in my spare time it was all of those activities that i took the initiative to do and proved that this this was an area of interest not only to me but also an interest an area of value to work that helped me justify requesting attendance at a, a master's degree for example so it, it's all about identifying those opportunities um, just, just to jump in i always think about this and i i never planned my career and i've just got to where i am through you know hard work and just luck and and, and so you talked before about uh what you did as a 15 16 17 year old youth as an adult you can look back and see what you were doing but at the time were you consciously doing what you were doing because you, you knew it was for career progression or do you think some of it was just instinct is it is, is your just your character 
that's a that's an interesting. I think I think it was just instinct. I don't think I've ever really. I think mine was. I, I only say that because yeah, yeah I, I don't think I realised by you know working a bit harder or doing a bit more research or answering questions differently or being dogged. I didn't actually ever realise I was doing it. I just wondered if you were the same. You didn't actually then you didn't know what you were doing, but obviously you were doing it for the right reasons. I well, as I say, for 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 maybe five years. I, I had planned, and 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 that that though that five year plan quickly uh, quickly disintegrate disintegrated in a couple of days at REF Biggin Hill, um, and, well, and then I, I had to make some further some other some other choices. Well, the other big question I had in my mouth was, did you have your call sign ready as well? <laughs> I did not have my call sign. No. <laughs> what do you think my call sign would have been, Steve? Uh, it would have been. Uh... I think it would have been something along the lines of uh, uh, I don't know. You're quite dogged. Does it have to be? I don't know if you think Matthew's quite a, a good with his uh, English. He's very dogged character. What do you think, Matt? Well, I'm just. I, I, I'm pretty sure we were going down a Top Gun route before. Is that where we are now? Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'm not as I'm not as film buff as probably you two guys, but obviously we're talking Mavericks and Gooses here, aren't we? So I'll leave it at that. I'm going to call you Spectro, as in Spectrometer. That's a good one. Yeah, I like that. That's, the, a, that's fair enough. The uh, the because Matthew was saying before about uh, his understanding, and I obviously I understand it a little bit more. But ultimately, I think what you're doing and what the company is doing is is again you've been uh, quite humble. But what you're doing is actually safeguarding lives to some degree. Is that a fair comment? That's true. Yep. Yep. Because because aren't isn't the process making sure that medication is safe to be used on, on people? Is. Yeah, it absolutely is. And also the techniques, the techniques and the improvement in science that has happened over the last, over the last, let's say, I don't know, a decade, but certainly over the last couple of years, actually helped expedite vaccines getting to the market quicker. So the, the techniques and the instruments that we use were used by the major vaccine manufacturers to help their research and development happen faster. It, it actually, uh, the final point for me that I was taken from your initial comments were that um, we talk about work experience and we know that work experience is super important, even at the baseline, just to improve a student's uh, work skills and their knowledge of what it's like to work in a workforce away from the speciality. But... We talk about careers provision, but actually what you mentioned was work-related activities. Mm -hmm. So you chose to do stuff away from the traditional careers provision, away from the traditional work experience path, but the thing that actually springboarded you and your mindset and your CV and your knowledge was actually a work-related activity, which in your case was the uh, cadets. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so perhaps it's something that we, we, we do also we talk about this quite a lot, is that we still live in a very traditional delivery model when it comes to educators and, and their uh, curriculum. And, uh, you know, work experience, if it's done, is normally traditionally a week. Careers, Amos will jump in on this now, hopefully, and, and back me up here. Hopefully, that's mean you've got to back me up, Amos. Uh, Amos will jump in now and, and say, you know, a student in a school then only gets like 20 minutes or 30 minutes of a careers advisor's expertise and knowledge. And then after that, they're very, very lucky if they get any other careers or work-related activities, you know, 
in a space line of careers, fairs or trips or visits, etc. So it's just interesting to hear that this particular pod, the other podcast, this podcast is really brought to light the importance of work-related activities. And as I was as I was thinking about the work experience and my experience of work experience and preparing for this podcast, I think it, it the, the work experience it should be longer, more frequent, and at a younger age. I'm not sure if it's changed, but when I when I did the work experience, it seemed to be a year too late. First of all, it was after I'd taken my options for GCSEs, and then it was after I'd chosen what A levels I was doing. I think that that really, if the work experience was at 13, 15, and 17, then this could help students shape and confirm their route as they move through education. Have we paid Ben to say that, Amos? I mean, <laughs> what, I, mean, I don't know, but Matthew, the... I was going to ask you to jump in on that. You know, what what's your thoughts? Work experience well, longer, more frequent, 13, 15, 17? What do you reckon? I think I think enterprise education has been brought into primary schools, and probably correct me if I'm wrong. So I think it's it's not listen nothing. It's work experience is not mandatory un, unless it's related to a, a vocational course at college. But yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm huge. I, I'm a huge advocate and, and champion work experience being brought into curriculum earlier, more frequent. Uh, in line with uh, in line with vocational courses at an earlier stage, uh, I think there's there's so many employers that we speak to that don't really look at the academic achievements on a CV. They tend to gloss over them very quickly. You know, people could very much fudge a CV, so to speak. You know, for want of a better term. Uh, but really, it, it's the, it's the story that people tell when they're at a job interview, what they've done, where they, where they've been, who they've met. You know, the travel history. And that kind of shapes their career more so than the qualifications. So, yeah, I think that frequency definitely before you choose your options. We hear from loads and loads of people who chose the wrong options, and they said, if only I'd have known what that career path entailed. A lot of young people as well have they have misguided judgments on what they think a career is. I think I touched last week on, you know, role models and young people are very quick to look at the end result. They look at it. I leave school at 18, I, I go into a job that pays me four to five thousand pounds. I'm going to be sliding down into a ball pit all day. This is how I like my coffee. And it actually isn't that. You know, if we're listening here to Ben, it's all it's the, the precursor to, to that position is experiences, lots of them, mistakes, you know, uh, pitfalls, uh, taking the hard knocks and picking yourself back up. And I think if we expose young people to more hard knocks earlier, and, and actually proper hard knocks, not oh, you know, a day here, a day there, but actually an extended period of work experience, and whether they, they found it a pleasurable experience, that's the career they wanted to go into, then great. But actually, it will, if it only changed it for a small percentage, I think that would do the economy and well-being in the world of good. There'd be nothing worse than young people, a young person at 13, 14, thinking the only thing I ever want to be is a vet. And then the first opportunity, first opportunity for them to work in a veterinary clinic doesn't come till 18 or maybe 19 years old. Maybe even older when they're even actually older. studying on the veterinary degrees. Yeah. And then from staring at that age and say, I didn't realise I had to do this. I didn't realise I had to do that. I didn't realise I had an allergic reaction to this type of animal. And wow, you know, seven years could have been shaped a little bit better. So 
yeah, obviously, me, you know, me and Stephen, I mean, we're absolutely fanatical about work experience, so I completely concur what Ben said. But I It'd think, be I think it's on the agenda for it. Well, no, I just think it is there. I just don't think it's been pushed through. I know that young people have, uh, just in primary school age, up to the age of 11, they do have employers coming in and talking about their jobs, but I don't know how much detail they go into. I think you'd only get that if you were actually at the employer's premises. I think there's a flip side to it, Ben. It'd be interested to hear your thoughts as well, is, is that... Uh forcing a i say forcing is a strong word but a young person having to go through a curriculum uh i looked at like if we, if we had a hundred students it's, you know how many looking at myself how many were actually ready to learn or know what they wanted to do and actually then having a curriculum forced on them and then they have to comply to it and then by the time they come to leave school everybody else has already had an idea what they want to do and got off and done stuff and then they get to 18 19 20 they go oh god I'm ready to learn. I'm now ready to join it because I wasn't quite ready. So it'd be it, it it's it, it's trying to try not it's trying to in some ways individualize it to make sure there's a, uh, opportunities for everybody. And so with your uh, the way I'm going with this question is for your field, I'm assuming that there is no you that your colleagues or your juniors or the people that work for you have a varied age range and people can come in at certain points of their life. They do. Yeah. Yeah. We have a so I have a. A very, should we say, diverse workforce. It's um, it's it's and and so the 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 work that I've been doing is has also shifted a lot this last two years with the pandemic. We've all been forced to work from home. Home, we're all now working in very diverse, remotely, highly distributed teams, and the teams that I have, um, they, they stretch from. Um, from in, all the way from India to Texas, and it's a variety of ages and all sorts of um, so males, females, minorities. It's it's really is very very diverse as a workforce now. Uh, I think the sorry, if somebody was um, a mature, do, do you have mature students as well who change career pathways? We do have mature students. Yep, yep. But, um, one, one lad in particular, in fact, I can think of uh, a couple of people that I work with who are, who are now software developers. One of them is a, a PhD in mathematics and came as, a, a, as an apprentice. He's done very well. And another one used to be a, a, a medical doctor, uh, so a, a essentially a, G, a GP, and decided he didn't like that career and switched to software development. So, so there they've brought a variety of different experiences as well. Ben, how can um, skills be more competitive so that organizations like yours can recruit more local students and of course it's great to have a wide range of students and having so many employees coming globally but looking specific for what we have here in england the northwest you know how could they recruit more locally or be more competitive so that you are willing to take these students on i think it it, it comes so it, it it comes down to what's making them stand out. The majority, every, everyone goes and gets the GCSEs and A-levels and degrees, but what makes you stand out above the rest? You need to show some interest. You need to show, show some enthusiasm. Some, something I do think about with in, in, terms of, in terms of science though, and, and I think this is down to school and education and it needs to, it needs to fundamentally change is the, way, is the way that science is taught 
it can be a very dry subject. The focus is very much on science, topics, techniques. And and that to some people is just like meh. And different perspectives from a variety of let's let's be honest, non-white male scientists, they should be presented alongside the traditional perspectives. Um, if you go and look and if you were to do a Google, a Google search of uh, laboratories, you'll probably see a white man in a, in a lab coat with a microscope. And that's not the case at all. And we need to take the emphasis away from uh, pushing that as a, a, as a stereotype for moving into science because it, it, turns, it turns kids off, quite frankly. And I think that extra emphasis should be put on the, just the scientific figures behind those topics and, and looking at some of the history I was just, you know, in, in preparation again for this pop, for, for this podcast and thinking about diversity in the scientific industry. I did a few, a few, a few little Google searches. I can send the links, and there's many, 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 um, you know, scientists from from minorities that you you probably wouldn't recognise them as names and as scientists, but when you actually read the scientific work that they've done, you will absolutely know that they that they actually provided that and you'll understand the science. So it's about presenting it in a different way. There's also, as, as, you, as you touched on, it's very forced in terms of a syllabus and we could have a more student-led approach to learning whereby students kind of navigate the way through it and choose what they want to learn rather than just sticking to the rigid syllabus. And I don't know how that how that would work out in schools, because obviously there has to be a syllabus of education, but just giving the kids a little more choice in the topics that they want to learn rather than it just being forced on them might help. Steve, Matthew, self-directed learning, is that the way forward? Steve, I'll start with you. I, you know that I'm a massive advocate for uh, that we still live in, in a, a bygone era and it's it's not, the school's fault it's not the teachers it's not so much the government's fault because it'd take a massive change so you know that i'm very much for that as we spoke with the doctors uh, a couple of weeks ago that you know you 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 cannot in this day and age judge success based on if you acquire five gcses at the equivalent of what c and above is that's just not a it's just a bygone way of learning somebody could be struggling academically but could be gifted and could have the knowledge base to want to go into sciences but the curriculum wasn't providing them a route to get to it because they were already struggling so yes i'm very much for uh, a you know a change in which that um managed correctly that the student can be supported through uh, these stem subjects in a way that they will maximise outcomes for their destinations, not just based on they pass or fail an exam as the mark, the final marker. I don't know if Matt agrees with that. I know. He's been he's a teacher here. <laughs> I, I, yeah, obviously, I, I do. I do agree. Steve. We, we tend to agree on, on all things work experience quite often. Um, I think there's a there's, there is so much that you could argue that there is a lot of there's a lot of information overload and it's difficult for schools to keep up and and work out the value of that information whether it's online information it's bridging that gap between employment all the time and it's sticking it into the curriculum i think there should be some lessons in the curriculum which are just exploratory 
that should be, you know, here are some great resources, have a look at the real uh, lines of inquiry, have a look at those real industries that are on offer that young people potentially don't think of. Get them off YouTube in particular, looking at these glamorous careers and, and, and really do some, uh, do some plotting of bringing uh, conversations like this into the classroom. We did so many great sets of spotlights last year during COVID Amos when we did all the employee masterclasses. The nuggets of information that the education authority and the Department for Education could use from private industries like us is it's free for them. You know, we wouldn't charge that information. And and I it's kind of hoping that there is some teachers with a little bit of time on their hands or the inspiration to bring all the resources into a national bank and then make that part of the curriculum so that students could easily filter careers, easily access video content and, and have that as part of a, a curriculum model. And I just think then we'd probably lessen any kind of, and we agree that mistakes are great to make. I think everybody should make mistakes, but some young people, uh, the hard knocks they have does take its toll. I think we could definitely make it easier for the people that are so undecided and yet still don't have the confidence to go headfirst into an employer's premises, knock on the door and say, can I work here for a week to find out, find out what it's like? All those videos that we've done, all those videos that we know are already out there in the ether on YouTube already, let's bring them into the classroom and let's, let's, let's start that conversation a lot earlier like Ben started the podcast with, you know, at 13 years old, I think is a minimum age to get young people to watch, listen to podcasts like this. And there are there there are a lot of uh, very good online course providers now that that can provide a lot of really high quality free content around science and advanced science techniques. It's just sitting down and and doing them instead of being on TikTok and YouTube. TikTok and YouTube are so easy to consume, but but really there's there's so much free education that is available on the internet now that that kids can make the use of and it can really help them as a come back to it it can help them stand out in interviews if you if you if you go along and you show some background knowledge to the job and to the industry that people are working in then it makes a big difference when, when I, whenever I, ben. Yeah. it's very subjective ben because we have great careers advisors we employ great careers advisors we've got one sat next to on this podcast now in amos that when when they're sitting and talking to a young person, they will do some Googling, they'll pick up those training programs that you're Good. talking about, they'll send them to students, but that is very much down to the individual. And I know a lot of careers advisors and career professionals working in schools, whether they are employed by the school or they're just they're, they're big advocates for, for careers, they will do this, they will pull all these links in the hands of students, but it's not a scaled model. It's nothing, it's really much, you know, a postcode lottery and the support network that young people have. Yeah. I think we come to the same conclusion every week, you know. Do you know we come to the same conclusion? I think we always go through this, we go through these roads and backwards and forwards and we all come to the same conclusion. It's like, do you know what? There's loads of support out there for somebody who's really? truly, truly committed. If somebody's truly committed and wants to do a career pathway, do you know what? 
you will succeed because there's so much support out there away from the deficiencies of the curriculum and the time you have on work placement. And yes, you know, you could be the cleverest person in the world, but ultimately you might not be employable. So you've got to work on your employability skills as well. So I think we always come back to the same point. So it's quite interesting, but I just, I was about to say if, if Matt hadn't jumped in, but Amos, you know, you are a careers lead. It, it's quite interesting to hear what Ben's, the point before that Ben was talking about, about, you know, diversity, making sure that we are educating young people about all these other wonderful people from different diverse backgrounds that have made such a commitment and, and made such a, a, you know, an impact in the world of science and to people's, you know, life. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, certainly in STEM subjects and STEM careers, I think having more diversity is certainly the way forward. And uh, there are organisations uh, such as AstraZeneca who are trying to bring in more uh, diverse backgrounds. I've seen it myself. Uh, so the, the, the science industry is working hard to become more inclusive because traditionally it is a privileged white man's environment and we're working really really hard the the majority of corporations now have really good diversity and inclusion programs and they have to show that at all levels in an organization that there are adequately represented by minorities this has had a, a, a profound effect even on the company that i'm working for in that we we've seen change happen at all levels including the ceo changing during the pandemic and some subsequent changes to the executive committee. It's happening from the top down. It really is. Absolutely. And I, I think that's a good way of moving forward. And, uh, you know, a lot of students, uh, they're very savvy. Uh, speaking to a few today, you know, they, they, they know that there's a demand for them, you know, speaking to, uh, you know, students from minority backgrounds uh, who, you know, female students that want to go into STEM subjects, they know that, there's a big recruitment uh, drive and this is the opportunity to take advantage of it. You know, it's just a case, Steve, as you put, you know, if you're um, willing and if you want to put the work in, it, it can happen. So it's just uh, about, you know, taking those opportunities. But equally, you know, as uh, Matthew said, you could put it on the plate for some other students. I'll do research with them. We'll find great resources, give it to the student. And you know what? They won't be interested. Uh, you sent all that information and they won't even look at it. So it's just the way. And it is know, important. People... It is important information. Whenever I'm recruiting, if I'm ever recruiting people, one of the one of the questions I will ask them in the interview is, what do you understand about what we do and the industry that we operate in? And all it would have taken is 10 to 15 minutes on our corporate website finding out some information, doing a few Google searches, and they'll be able to fly through that question. But people just don't seem to 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 show the initiative and go and find that sort of thing out. Matthew, I can see you're laughing there. This is yeah. Matt's just, that's Matt, now Matthew's writing down at this point in the podcast to say, right, noted, <laughs> website, Ben Dernley. <laughs> <laughs> You've just been captured forever. You know, I was, I wasn't, I was listening, I was laughing. It's uh, at the way that these online job forums work. Like, so we, I, I mean, not that anybody from Indeed.com is probably going to be any CEOs in listening to this podcast, but it's, you know, we we get applications for we put on, we will recruit careers advisors, uh, work experience officers, etc., uh, etc. Et and you know, I think at Amos, we've had people come to interview. And the first question they ask is, so, so what's a careers advisor? 
you know, the way that these systems are set up, it's kind of like they've gone through very quickly because it's really easy to apply for jobs. It's quite hard to get a job because obviously you've got to have an interview, but you get found out at some point, and, but it's that easy to apply. And I think we waste so much time applying and this kind of uh, this carpet bomb, for want of a better term, approach. I'll just apply for 100 jobs. You know what, if you've got that, if you've got that approach, you probably won't get any because if you decided to research 10 companies, like Ben said, intensively, find out little nuggets of information, get one or two interviews off the back of those creative CV, a creative approach, sending your CV, and then talk about the business having looked at their website. You know, if, if, employee, if, if a prospect had come to Steve and I in an interview and just recited our website and the number of students that we supported on work experience, their work experience, why they're passionate about getting young people into work experience, then yeah, they've got a great chance of, of working for us. But I think I was laughing because of the, we, we have CVs left, right and centre being sent to us on these online platforms and the, the person won't have a clue who we are, not researched us, doesn't have a clue what a careers advisor is, uh, maybe never even, I don't know, ridiculous. That's, sorry, that's why I was laughing. <laughs> the the uh... The, obviously we're conscious of time but just to finish on it I think it's a funny story Ben say it won't it's not a funny story but it is a funny story so imagine the world where your job uh, everybody else most people because it's you don't, you don't do that much but love a job where you have to travel the world right so your job takes you all over the world and everywhere and uh, you, you've done it for you've done it loads of times now you're fed up of it and Covid comes along and that well there was there's been negatives to it that one positive for that particular person is he doesn't have to travel the world anymore and he can get more done at home. Absolutely brilliant. So you imagine the world coming to the end of COVID and that person having the, uh, th the thought process that, oh God, I'm gonna have to travel again. Oh, bloody hell. And then imagine being asked to go to your first, uh, your first travel, uh, bearing in mind you've been, you've been vaccinated three times, you've never had COVID. Do you wanna finish the story, Ben? I can, yeah. So this was uh, this was just at the beginning of this month. As Steve, as Steve says, my fir first trip abroad. I travelled on the Sunday, woke up on the Monday in uh, a hotel in, uh, in in Boston, Massachusetts, and such is the need to uh, do a test, and I tested positive for COVID that morning. So I then attended the meeting that I was meant to be there for face to face, remotely from my hotel room. I was not impressed at all. <laughs> what an incredible story. After all those miles. <laughs> he flew all, all the way to a hotel, Aim. All the way, he flew thousands of miles to a hotel to sit in there on the same laptop he could have used at yeah. home to have Absolutely. the meeting to Absolutely. fly back. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm trying it again this weekend. So, so <laughs> this, this weekend I'll be uh, flying out to the States again for a, a conference next week. And fingers crossed. I will, uh, I will remain COVID negative. I'm staying away from everyone this week. I think the highlight there that you have to learn every time we say something, we're meant to learn something from ourselves. So I think we have to take the takeaway from there is if you, uh, if you are uh, motivated and you truly want to go into the world of science or science technology or science software, uh, then you could get a job that you know that could end up making you travel the world. Is is the positive? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's it, guys. We've come to the end of our podcast for today if you want to find out more about the changing education group check out our website changingeducation.co.uk send us an email info at changingeducation.co.uk thank you